Father God, would you please speak to us now through your word, and would you make us new as you make all things new. Amen. Would you please be seated. Later in the service, um, uh, when we have the prayer just before we distribute the bread and the wine at communion, um, we'll hear the words that are spoken, uh, and I'll highlight them, if I remember. In the water made wine, the new creation was revealed at the wedding feast. Poverty was turned to riches, sorrow into joy. That's what Jesus is doing when he takes the water and he turns it into wine. He takes one of the four, one of the key elements of life. The ancients had four, understood that there were four elements, earth, water, air, fire. And I must admit, I would have done a lot, lot better in chemistry if we had just kept to those four and not found 118 different elements because the periodic table completely killed me. But anyway, Jesus takes water and he turns it into wine. Not just any old wine, but exceptional wine. And not just a little. He produces about 1,100 bottles of wine. That's enough to keep even some people here going for at least a week. <laughs> it's a very, I'm going to name no names. <laughs> it's a very human story. This time last year, when we looked at this passage, we were celebrating the wedding of Olga Fabrikantova and Simon Burke. And this story is about a wedding, a village wedding. Often these weddings would take place in the autumn after the harvest had been gathered in. They were whole community events. For three to five days, the whole community would forget how hard life was. They would forget that often they would go hungry. They would forget how little they had. And they would feast and they would party. So the whole community would have gathered together. They'd come to celebrate, well, those things that we celebrate at weddings. Love and desire and beauty and honor, intimacy and belonging, new beginnings, new identities, new hope for the future. Jesus' mother was there, so was Jesus and his disciples. But this is a very human story because it's about what happens when the wine runs out. They have no more wine. Reading some of the commentaries about this, um, they, they, they often speak about the scandal that it would be, you know, for the, for the family. It was an abuse of hospitality, a poor reflection on the family, on the community, on, on the couple. Um, but actually, I think it's more a wake-up call. 
You see, we dream, and here there would have been a dream of abundance. But we live in a finite world with finite resources. And the wine runs out. It's as simple as that. There is no more. And we know it's a human story because our wine runs out. Our financial, our emotional, our intellectual, our material and spiritual resources are exhausted. And there is nothing left. There's an old English nursery rhyme. Old Mother Hubbard went to her cupboard to give the poor dog a bone. When she came there, the cupboard was bare, and so the poor dog got none. We've gone to the cupboard, and it is bare. For many people in our world today, it is about literal scarcity. They have no food, no medical resources, no income, very little hope. And probably for us, I hope, it's not quite as extreme. But our wine running out can be that moment of realisation that all our hard work and good efforts have come to nothing, that we're exhausted and drained and we have nothing to offer. It's when our dreams and principles have crumbled and there is nothing left. It is when the bad things or unfair things happen and we don't understand. It is when we don't know why we are doing what we are doing or where we should go and what we should do. The hope has gone. We are running on empty. But because Jesus can turn water into wine, this story is a story that gives us hope. You might like to have a look at the uh, little piece of paper that I handed out in it as a, a lovely icon. Uh, a fairly contemporary icon, though, of uh, this particular uh, event. Uh, and on the left, you see Jesus seated there. He's blessing the jars. Uh, and behind him is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And for a moment or two, I'd like to just look at her. Did you know, if we only had, this is fascinating, I, I, I love this, but if we only had John's Gospel, if that was the only Gospel we had, we would not know that the name of the mother of Jesus was Mary. John never tells us that. He always calls her the mother of Jesus, or Jesus' mother. In other words, he's drawing attention to the fact that her real significance is in who she is in relationship to Jesus. Traditional, classical, orthodox icons get this. this. They very rarely show her on her own. She is, apart from in the Annunciation when the angel is speaking to her, but otherwise she is nearly always with Jesus uh, he, he, she's either pointing to Jesus, holding Jesus, praying to Jesus, or, or presenting Jesus, that sort of medallion that's over her chest. Uh, and um, uh, Mary, in John's Gospel, the mother of Jesus only appears twice. Once here at the beginning, and once at the end of the Gospel, John 19, verse 25, 
when Jesus is on the cross. And both moments are of extreme significance. Have a look at it. It's a great, great sort of little study to do. And in John's Gospel and in the book of Revelation, written by John, uh, the mother of Jesus is, of course, an individual. But more than that, she represents the community of faithful believers. She is the embodiment of the people of God. And in our reading, she does two things. First of all, she tells Jesus, they have run out of wine. That's prayer. It's the bringing of our needs and of the needs to, of others to Jesus. And it's the task of the church, the task of each one of us who will call ourselves a Christian to pray. To pray for those who have come to the end of their resources. Lord Jesus, that person is sick. They can't afford to get the necessary medical treatment. They've run out of wine. Lord Jesus, that person is unemployed. They have no money coming in. They cannot provide for their family. They cannot provide for themselves. They have nothing. They have run out of wine. Lord Jesus, that person is facing impossible circumstances. They've reached the end of their tether. They're crushed. They have no hope. They're broken and empty. They have run out of wine. And when Mary tells the servants, and we need to hear this, do whatever he tells you, she is telling them to trust Jesus and to be obedient to him. I don't think Mary knew what Jesus was going to do, but she had an unshakable faith that he would do something. That is why she does involve him. I don't know whether you noticed in our reading, it's an absolutely fascinating question. Jesus says to her mother, why do you involve me? And why are you getting involved in this? Actually, that's a really important question for us to ask. There is a pretty significant spiritual quality which is called minding your own business. But there are times, there are times when you know you need to get involved and when you need to get turned to Jesus for someone else and you need to say to him, they've run out of wine. It's a good question to ask when we're praying for somebody or something. Why am I involving myself with this? Why am I involving God with this? Uh, and then Jesus tells her, you know, my hour has not yet come. When he says that, he's speaking of the great work that he's come to do. His death and resurrection, that is his hour. That's the main thing he's come to do. And yet, despite those two questions he said, gives to her, these two statements, she is still convinced that he can do something and that he will do something. The great thing about this is that we do not need to have the answers. We do not need to solve the problem ourselves. We do not need to know how God is going to solve the problem. 
All we need to do is say to people, look to Jesus, trust him, listen to him, and do what he tells you. At this wedding, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is the one who believes in him. She has absolute confidence in him that he can do something about this. I I think of many Christians who at different times have inspired me in my walk with God because of their profound confidence in Jesus. They've not only said, do what he tells you, but they have taken him at his word and they've done that. Whether that's to sell what they have so that they're able to serve him where he's calling them, or or to forgive someone who has badly hurt them, or to live in a very difficult place, maybe in a town where nobody wants to go to live, or on a state where nobody wants to go to to live because they feel called by God to serve there, or or to open their home to people who are homeless, or or to give sacrificially, or to leave a high status and high paid job in order to become, I, I don't know, a pastor or mission worker or to give up their own dreams to care for a child or an adult with a serious disability. They're not just stories of people in the past that you read about. They're stories of people we've personally known. And they've encouraged me and they encourage us to trust Jesus, to listen to him, to do what he tells us to do. Here, the mother of Jesus speaks to Jesus on behalf of the wedding family, and she speaks to to the servants on behalf of God. She acts as a go-between. That was the work of the Old Testament priest, to represent people to God and God to people. And that is the priestly ministry of the church, It is the job, not of those who we call priests, but the task of the whole church, of all the people of God together. It is our task, it is my task, it is your task. As a member of the church, we're to speak to Jesus on behalf of each other and on behalf of this world. They have no more wine. And we're to speak to the world and we're to teach, do whatever he tells you. But I'd also like to look also here at the stone jars. Now that might seem a really odd thing to look at. But Jesus tells the servants to fill six large jars that were used for the Jewish rite of purification. We've just had the Jewish... Uh, that we just had, um, we just had the Orthodox Christiania and the blessing of the waters. I'm actually avoiding Mike Gibson like the plague, because Mike is really into ice dipping, and if I can get through my time here in Russia without ice dipping, I think I will have achieved something. And if Mike can get me into the water, then Mike will think that he's achieved something. But anyway, they had the crescendo and the, and the ice dipping. Uh, and um, on Friday, I was reading an article in one of the papers about what sort of water can become holy water. And very interestingly, the person was writing and saying that it has to be water that can be drunk. 
water that you can take into you. Well, these six jars were used for the equivalent of Jewish holy water. Although, if I understand correctly, this water was not used for drinking, but for ritual washing. You washed in this water and you became ritually pure. Jesus uses those jars. He asks the servants to fill them with water. But of course, what comes out of them is not water that will make you ritually pure, but glorious wine. He changes ritual cleanliness for the joy of the kingdom. Without him, those jars, those symbols of the old faith had become powerless and empty. They'd run out of wine. They'd become meaningless rituals, mere duty. Uh, In Mark chapter 7, Jesus challenges the religious leaders. He says to them, you wash yourselves in ritually pure water, you do all the rites, yet what really matters is the muck that is in your heart and you do nothing to deal with that. And my friends, we too can become trapped in our own little ritual observances. We can get obsessed with them, with our daily times and rituals of personal prayer, the prayers that we say, our own superstitions, our rites in our services, and even, dare I say, the sacraments themselves, the bread and the wine and the water of baptism. Without Jesus... They are empty, they're barren duties. Without Jesus, they are symbols of death and not life. Without Jesus, they become empty, they have no more wine. But with Jesus, putting our faith in him, walking with him, listening to him, seeking to be obedient to him, these symbols take on a completely new dimension. They're transforming, not externally, but internally. They're life-giving, joy-giving. Last week, we heard about John the Baptist. John said, I came to baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John knew that the outer washing with water would ultimately change nothing. What we need is the transforming, life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is a very human story. They have run out of wine and Jesus uses the faith of Mary, the obedience of the servants and the jars, the water jars, to provide wine. But of course, there is a much deeper significance to this event, as you will always find throughout John's Gospel. Go deeper, always with John, go deeper. This wedding was on the third day. That is significant. It is clearly put there to make us think of the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And on this third day, Jesus provides wine for a wedding banquet. The Bible speaks of that day at the end of history as we know it, when Christ will return and when those who have loved him and longed for him and who have received his gift of forgiveness and eternal life and the Holy Spirit will be united 
And the language that it uses is the language of intimacy. It's the language of marriage. Isaiah 62, we've read it, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder, that is God, marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And on that day, God will provide a banquet, a wedding feast, and the wine will flow. Isaiah 25, 6, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. So it makes sense that this is the first miracle which Jesus did. He turns water into wine at a wedding on the third day. It is his calling card. He is Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, doing Messiah stuff. He has come to people, he has come to us, who have realised that we have run out of wine, that we have nothing, that we are empty, whether materially, or emotionally, or spiritually. And he turns, if we're prepared to obey him, our water into wine. He has come to bring in the kingdom of God. He has come in those words that we will use later on in this service. He has come to reveal the new creation.